As most of you know, our senior pastor, Paul Joyner, is currently on sabbatical. We'll be back at the end of the month. And what that means is this morning we have the privilege of sitting under the teaching of Reverend Tony Giles. Tony is a dear friend and one of the pastors at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee. Tony? Great. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much. Well, uh, greetings uh, from Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, delighted to be back here among you uh, on this day. Uh, happy to, uh, to be able to join you as we march together uh, into the call of God upon our lives. It is a joy always to be back with you. Uh, not, not my first time back here, but it's great to see some uh, new faces and some uh, old friends. Uh, delighted to be with you this morning. If you uh, happen to be in Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee today, you would know that they, like uh, a lot of churches, as was mentioned in our opening, that uh, this time of year is where um, Reformation Day is marked. Uh, that's actually tomorrow. And that means, uh, regardless of when, depending on when that falls, churches will choose this Sunday or the following to mark that, that, uh, that note of Reformation Day. At Cornerstone, they've got a trumpet today uh, because the Reformation that uh, we mark this Sunday and perhaps next is at the heart of our faith in many ways. It is, um, it's at the heart of this question of what does it mean to have faith in Christ. If you're here today um, asking that question, what does it mean to have faith in Christ, the text that we're going to spend our time in, gives you a handle on that very question. What is faith in Christ? What is it that, that we embrace and take hold of? That's what we see in, in the Gospel of Mark all over the place. But in chapter 10, there are a number of allusions to faith. And we're going to take a, a, a portion of God's Word and lay that before us today and walk together with, uh, with hearts and ears and eyes to hear and understand what it is that God has in store. Uh, what is the kind of faith that saves? What does that look like? What does it entail? And how do we get that into our lives? That's what we're going to do as we look at this passage today. Let me, let me read for us today. You can uh, follow along. This is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, beginning with verse 46 uh, through verse 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. 
And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Would you pray with me? Our Lord and God, as we sit before your word, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you soften our hearts that we might delight in your presence? Would you open our, our ears that we may hear your voice? Would you shape our wills that we might desire your ways? Loosen our tongues that we might declare your glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. There's only one person uh, named in the synoptics that was healed. Only one person out of all the healings, there's only one person that was named. His name is Bartimaeus. Uh, that's the one before us today. There's something significant about that. And in one sense, Bartimaeus stands above or apart from all of the others that are healed in the, in the synoptic gospels. That should be a clue to us as we, as we get to this, that, that there's something going on here that we need to attend to. And so we will. What I want us to do with uh, our time together, I want us to look at this in a couple of ways. Just, just two big questions. The first one is, what is the faith that leads to life? We're going to see as we go that the faith that leads to life is born in desperation. It's proven in persistence. And it's focused exclusively on a person. Born in desperation, proven in persistence, and focused exclusively on a person. And then how do we get that into our lives? The scene is uh, before us. They're on their way to Jerusalem. You picked that up uh, a little earlier than where we started. They're on their way to Jerusalem when they come to Jericho. That's where we are at this point. Jericho was 18 to 20 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It was 20 miles of torturous climbing, 3,500 feet above, uh, sorry, below Jerusalem. That's what's in front of them. 18 to 20 miles and 3,500 feet. The hike difficulty uh, for that trek, if you had a calculator, would borderline between very difficult and extreme. <laughs> that's where they are, that's where they're headed, and that's what's in front of them. And as he was leaving Jericho, we read, with his disciples and a great crowd, that great crowd, uh, this was Passover, which was why they were headed to Jerusalem. Uh, that pilgrimage was an annual feast that they attended. And this great crowd with this mountainous climb in front of them creates something of a bottleneck. So as they are in Jericho, Jericho is jammed, filled with people on their way and making preparations for the, the ascent. They're filling their water bottles. They're, they're, they're getting ready. They're, they're packing their backs for the food that they will need between Jericho and the arrival. That's what's going on. So Jericho, which was not a big town normally, is a big town on the way to Passover. 
the geography and the calendar have created the scene, and Jesus and his disciples are a part of it. They're on their way. It was a notoriously unsafe uh, route that they were taking. It was called the way of blood because of the blood often shed there by robbers, the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. So as they fill their water bottles and pack their packs, a crowd is assembled and something begins to develop. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, sitting beside the road, marginalized. Um, To be blind at that point in time was to be desperate and dependent and marginalized and separated. Uh, Some of you know something about what it is to be maybe not blind, but marginalized and separated and alone. That's Bartimaeus. And what we see in him and from his response is we see that the faith that leads to life is born out of that. It's born out of desperation. It's born out of a realization that that there's something that I need that I don't have. And there's something, someone who has what I need and it's not mine. Kind of a desperation. uh, The kind of desperation that makes us just frankly feel uncomfortable. I mean, we don't like to be needy much less desperate. We just don't like to be needy. Uh, my, uh, my father was a widower when uh, Meals on Wheels showed up with a meal. Actually, he had arranged that for his father and his mother a generation earlier. But when Meals on Wheels showed up at our house uh, to the widower, with the meal, my dad's response was, oh, we don't, we don't need that. <laughs> now, the fact is, he, he really needed it. <laughs> he needed nutrition, and he needed constant care that, that he wasn't able to admit or, or recognize. And maybe it was both, a little bit of both, willing to recognize it and willing to admit it. But that kind of desperation, friends, is, is what we're invited into on a Reformation Sunday. It's to recognize that there's a desperation that marks my life and marks your life. A kind of desperation that we need to recognize before we can admit it. Right? I need, to, I need to have an accurate assessment of my own condition and then acknowledge that. You're getting a glimpse here of the, of the faith that leads to life. Recognizing our desperation and then acknowledging it. It's a, it's a, the faith that leads to life is born out of that desperation. We got a glimpse of that in our opening to the worship as you heard these words from Rock of Ages. Could my zeal no respite know? In other words, if my zeal never let up, 
if, if my endeavors and my industrious and my capacity to, to meet God's terms, if I could, if I could, I can't zeal enough, is what Augustus Top Lady is suggesting. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? There aren't enough tears that I can shed, that we could shed, that we could pool and offer to a holy God. Not my efforts, not my tears, not my regrets. It's not that. All for sin could not atone. You must save, and it's you alone. You know, this uh, Reformation that we marked today was marked by some rallying cries. One was faith alone. We're justified by faith alone. Another one is in Christ alone. Justified. That uh, grandfather that my father attempted to feed with Meals on Wheels um, grew up in the hills of East Tennessee. They were, uh, they were Presbyterians. At least that's where they went to church on Christmas and Easter. That's who they were. And my grandfather was a wonderful man. He was so faithful and so uh, generous to us, at least. Um, I don't know that he always carried this with him. But he is the one who introduced me to the rabbit's foot. Do you know what the rabbit's foot is? Or was? I don't know. I guess you can still buy a rabbit's foot. I've not seen one. You used to be able to buy them in the drugstore. A rabbit's foot that would, you would hold or carry in your pocket for good luck. That was it. Uh, it was something you'd pull out and hold for good luck. And I don't know if he carried it, but I do know that in addition to Christmas and Easter, his life was not marked by the kind of desperation that we see in Bartimaeus. And maybe that's because he had something else to cling to. Maybe he was clinging to something besides Christ alone and faith alone. And what we see in the kind of desperation that Bartimaeus is exhibiting for us is the kind of desperation that says, nothing in my hands I bring. I'm clinging to nothing. It's Christ alone. It's faith alone. Clinging to him. My question for us today, including myself, is what, what are you inclined to cling to? What is your rabbit's foot? What is your hope? What is it that you bring to a, a, before a holy God and, and, and hope that, that what you bring is enough? And Bartimaeus is showing us there's nothing that we bring. He's desperate and he cries out. He cries out all the more. Well, they tell him to be quiet and he keeps crying. There's a desperation there. The faith that leads to life is born in desperation but it's proven in persistence, and I've already hinted at that. 
When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they rebuked him, telling him to, to be silent. But he cried out all the more, David, have mercy on son of David, have mercy on me. It was a desperate persistence, a little bit like Jacob wrestling with God. I will not let you go until you bless me, says Jacob. And you can almost hear Bartimaeus saying something like that. Son of David, don't pass me by. I will not let you pass me by. Hear my cry. Hear my plea. All he can do is yell. And that's what he does. He's undeterred. The crowd doesn't silence him. He doesn't care what other people think. Do you? Do you care what other people think? Do you care what those people that matter most to you think? Is that what stands in the way of your desperation, of crying out to the only one who can meet your greatest need? Alistair Begg says, you will not see Christ as a reality until you see him as a necessity. And Bartimaeus shows us the way. The faith that leads to life is born in desperation, is proven in persistence, and it's focused exclusively on a person. You see, it's not the quality of our faith. It's the object. That's what matters. It's, it's not how, per, how persistent I can be. It's what I'm persistent or who I'm persistent for. There's two aspects of, of this objective faith that, that come out of this text. And I'm just going to mention, there's, there's probably more. I'm just going to hit two here. One of the things that we are to see, to see what the blind man saw, is to begin to see... Jesus Christ's messianic glory. We get that uh, from the, the, the name that he uses to refer to, to Jesus. What does he call him? Son of David, right? Son of David, that's right out of 2 Samuel 7. King David is the one who is the forerunner and the projector of this. And he was the hope of Israel. And he was the one who, from whom the Messiah would come. And Bartimaeus is beginning to see that with blind eyes. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy. It's the only time Jesus is publicly, publicly addressed with that messianic title in the book of Mark. And it's a flashback to a couple of chapters earlier to a passage that most of you might be familiar with. Where Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And, they're, and they give different answers that have come from the crowds. And he said, who do you say that I am? And do you remember Peter's answer? Well, you're the Messiah. You are the Messiah. It is a messianic glory that, that, we're, that we're, we're a part of. We're following you because of the promise of a Messiah, and we're beginning to see that take shape in you. And Bartimaeus gets it. Son of David, have mercy on me. Your messianic glory is beginning to open my closed eyes. 
Remember that long passage you heard a few minutes ago from Deuteronomy? That long passage? It was long, wasn't it? Near the beginning of that long passage, you can go back and look at it later, but it, it's talking about the fact that the people saw signs and wonders. And there are some people that didn't see signs and wonders because God had not yet given them eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. We're talking about a blind man, right? A blind man who begins to see. In fact, we're talking about a blind man who sees better than most of the other people around who have two good eyes. Be quiet, Bart. Get out of the way. They don't yet see who this is. And Bart is seeing with blind eyes and telling them. <laughs> no wonder he's named. No wonder he stands out above the rest in the, in the synoptic gospels. Jesus is reworking messianic expectations. You know this part of the story, I suppose, that, that what, the, what the people of God at that time were looking for was a Messiah who would come in and obliterate all the enemies, including Rome and the powers that be. And Jesus is taking that notion and flipping it and saying, I have not come to obliterate your enemies. I've come to give you eyes. I've come to give you a heart. I've come to give you ears that hear and eyes that see that my kingdom is not of this world. And I'm coming to meet and take care of the one thing that keeps you from that world. I come, my messianic glory includes my, my coming as a king who would die. It's a messianic glory, and, and, the, and the disciples themselves are blinded by the true mission of Jesus. They haven't gotten that yet, and Bart begins to show them. <laughs> and Jesus begins to say so. The faith that saves focuses exclusively on a person, and one aspect is his messianic glory. But what stands out in addition to that, it's not only his messianic glory, it's his merciful nature. We're going to get that. It's Jesus' willingness to extend mercy, that is, his undeserved favor. Jesus heard Bartimaeus above the crowd. I mean, there was a, there was a din of noise, and then there's this voice crying out, and Jesus hears that voice. Kind of like, you know, maybe like the mother who hears her child above all the other children in a room full of kids. Jesus hears the cry for mercy and stops and calls him to himself. And throwing off his cloak, verse 50, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Somebody had said, Bartimaeus, he's calling you. I don't know what's going on, but he heard you and is calling you. Bartimaeus springs up, throws off his cloak. 
the, that, the best way to understand that little scene right there is simply a spontaneous act of joy and anticipation. Bartimaeus has been summoned into the midst of this, into the presence and right before the king of glory. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? You know, we heard that if you've been in Mark, if you'd, you might remember this. That same question was asked of James and John a few chapters earlier. What do you want me to do for you? Do you remember their answer? Jesus, we want to sit on your right side and your left in the kingdom. <laughs> well, that's one way to answer the question. And how does Bartimaeus answer the question? That question, by the way, can expose you. What do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that question? What do you want me to do for you, says the king of glory. That question can expose a selfish aspiration on the part of James and John, or it can reveal a genuine desperation. What do you want me to do for you, Zion Prez? Is your answer selfish aspiration? Or is it genuine desperation? Jesus' question is designed to strengthen Bartimaeus' faith by encouraging him to be honest and express it. I love that. It encourages your faith to express your desperation <laughs> and to make it your own. Bartimaeus, you see, needs Jesus to treat him better than he deserves. And that's just what Jesus does. So the faith that leads to life is born in desperation. It's proven in persistence, and it centers and is focused exclusively on a person. So how do we get this into our lives? I'm going to finish with this for a couple more minutes here. Hang with me. How do we get this into our lives? We need to see. We all need to see what the blind man saw. Our need. Our desperate need. Christ's messianic glory and his merciful nature. And when we do, when we see our need, his messianic glory and his merciful nature, here's where we get. We begin to see the bottom side of our dark heart. You know, most of the time I don't want to go there. But all the time, I need to be there. I need to see my ongoing desperate need. Here's how John Donne put it in a hymn entitled, Hymn to God the Father. Listen to the words. Wilt thou forgive that sin where I begun, which was my sin, though it were done before? Wilt thou forgive that sin though which I, through which I run, and do run still, though still I do deplore? 
When thou hast done, thou hast not done, for I have more. Wilt thou forgive that sin which I have won others to sin and made my sin their door? Wilt thou forgive that sin which I did shun a year or two but wallowed in a score? When thou hast done, thou hast not done, for I have more. I have a sin of fear that when I have spun my last thread, I shall perish on the shore. But swear by thyself that at my death, thy son shall shine as he shines now and heretofore. And having done that, thou hast done. I fear no more. Do you hear that's going on? When I see that I cannot shake and change my nature and there's a dark side of my nature that is fixed, it seems. It makes me desperate. But in my desperation, I turn to the one whose glory is messianic, whose nature is merciful, and who is ready to forgive, who's ready to make me his own, who says... I'm yours. And there's this transfer of my sin and his righteousness. And with that transaction, it is not sin that defines me. It's not the darkness of my heart that I am unable to change that marks me and, and limits me. It's in spite of that that he brings me to himself and I fear no more. There's nothing to fear. There is no condemnation, says Paul, for those who are in Christ, who see with eyes to see, <laughs> eyes that God gives for us to be able to see what we cannot see until he does. Paul's prayer is, open the eyes of my heart that I may be able to see the hope that is mine, the inheritance that is mine. Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. So they could joyfully enter into Zion, Isaiah 35. And here's the good news for us today. He still stops for those who call on his name and listens to cries for help. He still stops. So us too, Jesus... We want to see more of you and ourselves as belonging to you, hidden in you, delighted by you, being kept for you. Don't let us think of ourselves apart from you to see what the blind man saw. You know, we don't know this, but Bartimaeus could very well later on, with eyes to see and to read for the first time, picked up a psalter that hymn book of the people of God. And what do you think he thought as he came, would have come to Psalm 28 to read these words? Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy, for when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. And just a few verses later, Psalm 28 reads, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts 
and with my song I give thanks to him. Those words could have been Bartimaeus's hymn. You heard my cry. You delivered me. Those words, friends, can be yours. You heard my cry. You delivered me. And you have worked into my life the faith that leads to life. Lord, do that work, we pray. Hear these words, final words, from Michael Card. There is a joy in the journey, a light we can love on the way. There is wonder and wildness to life and freedom for those who obey. All who seek it shall find it. A pardon for all who believe. Hope for the hopeless. And sight for the blind. There's joy in the journey. It is his gift to you, friends. Receive it. Father, would you help us to receive what you offer and you provide? Father, thank you that in our desperation we can cry out to you and you hear our cry. Lord, in our desperation, may we, may we see once again the fullness and the wonder of your merciful heart. That it is your deepest desire and nature to forgive sin. That is your heart's longing. That is your, it is your frame and your posture toward those of us who need faith, faith like Bartimaeus to take hold of the promises that are yours and to become ours. Lord, as we come to the table, we pray that you would use these very common elements for that purpose to make visible and tangible things that are not quite so. We can read about Bartimaeus, we can read about faith, but when we hold these elements to our, in our hands and take them to our lips, something becomes true as we take something tangible into our, into our lips. So meet us here at this table, we pray. Use this sacrament for your glory, for our good. Strengthen us in a faith that leads to life, that is a gift from the one who gives life, Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.